You're listening to Very Loose Women. I am Alice Austin. I started No Filter Zine in February 2017. You're listening to Very Loose Women. I'm Leonor and I'm here with Alice. So No Filter is a non-fiction zine for recollections, revelations, rants and raves. Anyone can contribute their non-fiction writing. All writing you find here will be at the very least honest, at the very most offensive, and probably somewhere in the middle the rest of the time. In a world where we share only the best parts of our lives, No Filter is here to let you express the nitty, gritty and shitty parts of life. First and foremost, it's a reaction to social media. Um, I think it's about sharing the crap stuff that happens to you instead of sharing the amazing stuff that happens to you because it's isolating to see how much fun everyone's having on Instagram when actually, you know, it took them like 10 different snaps to get the shot of their breakfast and no one was having fun while they were trying to do that. It's divided into four categories. So there's revelations, and the kind of thing that goes into revelations is um, how amazing it is to be in a sports team or more, maybe more serious stuff like stories about mental health, just stuff that you've realised maybe as maybe more coming of age stories. Uh, and then there's rants, which is more like opinion pieces. Yeah, I mean... Panic attacks. <laughs> stories about panic attacks. My friend found out her boyfriend cheated on her loads. I've put some... WhatsApp conversations with my friends on there. I um, read this one about the the Danish bodybuilder, and it's all screenshots. And I was just so shocked. So this was the first story that I um, found. I almost I asked my friend Jenny had told me about it if it was fake because it was so well constructed. All of the writing you find on there is at the very least honest and at the very most offensive and usually somewhere in the middle the rest of the time. And this specific conversation is a, is a true story um, about... Um, I was WhatsApping my friend while I was on a date, and the date was going worse and worse and worse, and I woke up the next morning and I read them, and I was like, fuck, that's just ridiculous. I was going to write it up as an article, and then I realised this is just so much better to just put the WhatsApps online. It was so compelling to read it. <laughs> Uh, for listeners, maybe if we say the exact website, yeah, nofilterzine.com. So if you go on and you type in the Danish uh, bodybuilder, you can find the story. It's incredible. Um, I started No Filter when I was working in a nine-to-five job in a startup. I was really, really, really bored. They'd introduced this time tracking system which meant that you actually had to be physically at your desk for eight hours a day with a 30 minute break. This is in Germany. There's loads of tools for this. It's like a thing they do on the continent. Like, can they feel the pressure on your seat? You press play on this website, which you're logged into. You press play when you sit down and then if you're away from your seat, and your boss can see that you're away, but you're still logged on, then you kind of get in trouble. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, that's like human rightsy. It like, felt very human rightsy. Actually, in yeah. Germany, it's an incredibly common tool to have wow. because it meant that when you go overtime, you get that time back. 
but um, I didn't have anything to do. So I was basically chained to my desk for eight hours a day with like maybe 10 minutes of work to do a day. I've not had that job anymore. So I started No Filter. I just thought, okay, I've got all this spare time on my hands and I love writing. I wanted to practice writing um, and I love anecdotes and stories and I wanted a platform where other people can share their anecdotes and their stories. I was living, I hope she doesn't listen to this, I was living with this girl from LA who was an Instagram influencer. Wow. And she had like fans and people would write to her and she would like, you know, she was really quite like cool, I suppose, and was out and about taking snaps. And I had to spend quite a lot of time with her and we would, you know, get brunch and we'd have to sit, I'd have to sit there waiting for her to stop snapping pictures of her brunch and it was so boring and she was really mean and she was actually not having any fun at all she was um you know maybe going out like once or twice a weekend or, or once a week and the rest of her time she'd spend like by herself in her bedroom being really grumpy and passive aggressive and everybody thought that her life was amazing mm. and that she was having the most amazing time and she and it's just like, such bullshit and I was like she's having no fun at all and everyone's sitting there thinking she's having an amazing time and her life's amazing and yeah she's a she was having an okay time I suppose no she wasn't she was it was boring <laughs> and I was like it's not fair that people might be thinking that their life isn't good enough because hers is and it's like no they're wrong their life is probably much much better and it's sad that we're comparing ourselves I want no filter to be a reaction to this The first story I started with was the story of my ladies football team, Tottenham Hot Snatch. That was a, also a very good story of how it was started. It's like a sort of modern day feminist Mighty Ducks. How long did it take for people to start sending stuff in? I had sort of lined up writers before I even started it because I knew I wanted contributors and a lot of my friends were very talented writers. So I kind of had a few people in mind, but it took like... Yeah, I see a few months for people to start taking it seriously enough to want to put their stuff on there. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a place where I want more, like I want loads and loads of contributors and I want like, lots of different voices. Um, so on that note, if you're listening and it sounds like something you might want to contribute to, uh, how do people get in touch? The, my email address is editor at nofilterzine.com and you can just send me your ideas or introduce yourself or anything and I will get back to you and we can chat. Um, but it's pretty like, you know, there's not a huge amount of criteria. It just has to be really unpretentious, very authentic, honest storytelling that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't necessarily make you look amazing, but is at least very honest. Um, that's the idea. And what do you feel that brought you? I, do you know what? I just think I love making my friends laugh. I, I moved to Germany in 2016 and I kind of just like writing these, these anecdotes that my friends can see what I'm doing and um, yeah, I think it just making people feel good is the main idea. You don't read someone else's shit date story and feel bad. That's true. <laughs> you feel good. And I, I just think, and it also, you know, when I have a terrible day, it makes me feel so much better that I can like make some form of, I don't want to say necessarily art, <laughs> but making something positive out like of it. Light of it, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I've got one that I've actually started writing this morning about probably the most disastrous days I've ever had and that will probably be up there in a week so yeah are there any spoilers um it's about the DJ mall grab what's the, what's the DJ a DJ uh he's an Australian DJ called mall grab oh okay I thought it was like a specific move that DJs <laughs> no. have the mall grab 
Maybe if we start with reading the piece. Yeah, of course. Have you got that? I have it on my phone. Oh, I actually have my laptop upstairs, which might be easier to read from. Okay, it's called... I got catfished by Green Day when I was 12 and it changed the course of my entire life. It began in the summer of 2002. I was visiting my dad in Singapore and had been given some money to spend at HMV. At random, I picked up a Green Day CD and took it home. By the time I'd returned to London, I was completely in love with Green Day. I would sit next to the CD player in my room and listen to shenanigans over and over again. I'd stare at the album art, completely besotted with each of them. I bought a drum pad and sticks and obsessively drummed along to their songs every night, not wanting to talk to anyone, especially my mum. I discovered Green Day. I wanted to be left alone. I was delighted to find that the band recorded audio messages on their official website. I spent hours listening to them talk nonsense and make in-jokes. As I got to know their individual personalities, I became even more infatuated. One day, as I dug through their audio archives, I found a message from the drummer, Trey Cool, sharing his new email address. I immediately wrote a gushing email, telling him how I was Green Day's biggest fan. I clicked send and went about my day chatting to my mates on MSN and watching Finding Nemo for the millionth time. When I checked my inbox the following day, the last thing I expected to see was an email from Trey Cool. But it was there. My heart stopped. My hands were shaking so much I could barely click to open it. It was really him. Trey Cool thanked me for my email. He said he loved catching up with his fans and was very happy to meet me. He asked where I'm from and what my favourite Green Day album is. I almost vomited with excitement. I charged down the stairs to tell my mum that Trey Cool had emailed me back. I could hardly breathe. My mum was confused, but there was no time for questions. I sprinted back upstairs, two at a time, to respond to Trey. I gushed out answers to his questions and pressed send. That night, I could barely sleep. The next morning at school, I told my friends. None of them believed me until we snuck into the IT room at lunch and I opened my emails to show them. And there was another email from Trey Cool. We all shrieked. As the weeks continued, I got used to having an email from Trey in my inbox every day. Eventually, he asked if I had MSN and if I wanted to chat there. <laughs> I said, yes, yes, I do have MSN, Trey Cool. Same email address, ihateavrillevine431 at hotmail.com. Add me. So Trey Cool from Green Day and I started chatting on MSN. After a little while, he added me to a big group chat full of people I didn't know. Guys, this is my new friend Alice, Trey announced. Hey, Alice. Hi, Alice. Hey, all. I typed a shy greeting and sat back to watch a flurry of excitable in-jokes pop up on my screen. I slowly adjusted to who and what everyone was in this group chat. The MSN group consisted of five girls around my age from all over the world, Sydney, Colorado, Norfolk, one was from Croydon, which wasn't very far from where I lived, and another girl was from Portsmouth. And of course, there was Trey Cool from Green Day. The conversation was usually about Green Day, what they were up to, their latest news and music, a lot of the chat was dominated by the girl from Portsmouth. Her name was Lauren, and as it turned out, she was the niece of the lead singer of Green Day, Billy Joe. Her and che Trey would chat like old mates. Shortly after I joined this online community, Trey Cool introduced two key players to the MSN conversation, 
Mike Dant and Billy Joe Armstrong, the other members of Green Day. I was unspeakably excited. I would sit at the clunky desktop computer in the playroom of my house and chat online for hours a day. Slowly storylines began to emerge. I realised that there was an undercurrent to the conversations, that people were developing relationships. Ruth from Norfolk, her and Billy Joe were in love. But then Maya from Sydney started chatting to Billy Joe and he started developing feelings for her. And then they had to break it to Ruth that like, well, now him and Maya are in love with each other. But Billy Joe loved them both. He didn't know what to do. These are the kinds of things we discussed. <laughs> Another example. Lauren from Portsmouth was bisexual. She was in love with Sally from Croydon, but Sally wasn't sure how she felt about it. Did she love Lauren? They would talk throughout the night, trying to make sense of all these complicated feelings. The best one, the actual best one, was that Billy Joe and Mike Durnt were in love. I printed this conversation out and showed it to my friends at school. I became close friends with the other girls in the group. One afternoon, Ruth came down from Norfolk and me, her and Sally went shopping in Oxford Street together. I didn't tell my mum they were off the internet. Another time Lauren came along too. We talked about her uncle Billy Joe, what he'd been up to. We adored spending time with her because she was related to him. Once I caught Lauren biting her lip and staring lovingly at Sally. <clears throat> the following summer, I was at my dad's house in Singapore again. One evening, my mum phoned to tell, to tell him I was spending way too much time online. It was back in the day when the internet and the phone line were mutually exclusive and the phone made that ee-wee noise. My mum was sick of not being able to talk to her pals on the phone because I was on the internet all the time. My dad told me that when I returned to London, there would be a lock on the computer room door. I could only chat to my online friends for one hour a night. I went nuts. I was completely obsessed with the entire fiasco and was staying up talking online until 3am most nights. I was exhausted at school, but this was my priority. They were magical and exciting and me and Trey were kind of in love these days. And how could she? She couldn't do this to me. When I got back to London, I commenced a straight up military operation to get into the computer room after hours. Not only had my mum screwed a padlock onto the door, but she'd taken away the internet modem. So I found a screwdriver in one of the drawers in the kitchen and used my pocket money to buy an internet modem from PC World. <laughs> I shit you not, every evening of year nine, I'd pretend to go to bed, wait until my mum went to sleep, take my secret spare modem and screwdriver and break in to my own computer room. <laughs> I'd turn the computer on, terrified that the room of the 2003 desktop would wake up my mum and would proceed to chat to Green Day and fans until three or four in the morning. I'd get up for school and go about my day until evening time when I would do it all over again. It took a surprisingly long time to figure out that we absolutely were not talking to the real Green Day. <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint what made us realise this. Perhaps it was the fact that Green Day were 32 years old and had wives and young children. Perhaps it was because Sally and I had been to a Green Day concert and found it weird that we weren't put on guest list. Perhaps it was because a successful band wouldn't be online so regularly. Or perhaps it was because obviously, obviously, it was not fucking Green Day. <laughs> Me and the rest of the girls conducted the second military operation of this story to find out who had been pretending to be Green Day all along. We did some sly questioning, a cheeky bit of email hacking and had lots of frantic 2am discussions. It didn't take us long to figure out that it was Lauren. Somehow she'd hacked into the Hotmail account of the real trade call from Green Day. When I'd emailed him, the audio message she'd left was about a year old. She must have seen it as a monumental catfishing opportunity and hacked into it after the fan mail had calmed down. 
Needless to say, she was not related to Billy Joe Armstrong. But that's not the most important part of the story. How did it change the course of my entire life? Well, Sally and I became real life friends after everything we'd been through together. One weekend, shortly after we'd realised that we'd spent 10% of our lives on Earth being catfished by a fake Green Day, Sally invited me around to her house for dinner in Croydon. I went along and met a few of her friends. They were all slightly older than me and I was unbearably shy, but I found them hilarious. They were also horrible to each other. The next weekend, I went along with them to a pub in Croydon called The Harp, where I met more of Sally's friends. I was drinking snake bites and trying to smoke cigarettes. I started talking about new bands that weren't Green Day and snogging emo boys. Every weekend from then on was spent at the Harp in Croydon with Sally's friends who slowly became my friends. I spent all of my time with them as a teenager. I drank Strongbow in parks with them, went to their house parties, lost my virginity to one of them. I ended up going to the same university as one of them too. 15 years later, they're still my best friends. I went to Sally's wedding in February. When I first met everyone in Croydon, I was too embarrassed to tell the truth. I told everybody that Sally and I had met at a gig. But recently my friends have started asking how it is I know everybody. I didn't go to the same school. I didn't go to university with everyone. I'm not even from Croydon. So how do I know you? And I'm like, have you got a minute? I think you better sit down. <laughs> no, I was just talking with Alice about how we know each other, which is through a friend who was part of the group of friends that she met through being catfished by Green Day. And I just had the revelation from Alice that she was 24 when they realized that that's how she knew them. People just didn't ask each other where they are from because everybody in Croydon is from a different mix of schools. So everyone just assumed I was from a different school and suddenly I like, think, yeah, I was like 23 or 24. And someone was like, wait, you got catfished by Green Day? I'm like, yes. And I'd also like to point out that the only reason I'm on this show right now is because I got catfished by Green Day. That's true. <laughs> because Alex is somebody I met through that whole thing, and Leo knows Alex's girlfriend. There's an article in on No Filter Zine about independent things that have, have withstood independent places that have withstood the London High Street sort of um, uniformization. Anyway, we're in one of these places called Double Bubble in Ellsfield. I've got a series called. I call it Fuck Time Out. That's it. No, um, we haven't spoken about that. <laughs> which, um, I don't live in London anymore, so it's a bit harder for me to find these places. But yeah, it's basically just reviews and, and short articles about the institutions in London who have stood up to gentrification. Or not stood up, but like somehow stayed put. Um, and I just kind of want to write articles about them so that uh, people go to them and support them. Uh, so it's actually quite functional, but also nothing, none of that pug pop-up bullshit. Um, so that's something No Filter is kind of about. Like, <laughs> I think there's something in the authenticity of it as well that is very similar to the writing. And I also saw there was something about uh, Israel on there. It's a little bit political as yeah. well. Was that intentional? Was it just... That's part of the ranty thing. Yeah, so there was... I wrote... It was the scariest thing I've ever published by a long, long way. I went to Israel um, in February. I'm Jewish and... Um, I understood a small amount about the country and I kind of felt even a little bit conflicted about going and I went and I was just really blown away by everything I learnt and the effect it had on me and I wrote an article about it which was terrifying because I don't I don't know anybody that has any positive feelings towards Israel 
I it actually was was pretty left wing, but I wrote an article which and the, the title was "Is it okay that I fucking love Israel?" Mm. Um, and that was terrifying because it's the first time I've published something that I know that my readership will fundamentally disagree with, but I think gives them a, another perspective. I mean, I have this left wing readership that read the same articles about the conflict and me being able to be like, hey, I just have this other idea. I felt was like my duty as the as the founder of No Filter. I felt like I couldn't hold back what I thought, what I felt. That would be the you know not not true to the concept. I was on the flight here, flight from Berlin to London, just recently, and it just suddenly dawned on me that I'm going to put a lot more time and effort into maybe getting funding for it and making it into a real project where I can pay my writers and get a website redesigned. <laughs> it's so DIY, I did it and I don't know how to do these things. Right. So I think it's a, it's a concept that hopefully will help people and make them feel good and there's not that many outlets right now for that. Currently, how much time do you put into it? Um, I, should, I should do more, but I'd say like once a week I will be either editing or writing a, an article mm -hmm. and I'd quite like it to just be more like twice a week, mm -hmm. maybe three times a week. And I really would quite like to do something along the lines of a podcast. I do events sometimes in Berlin. I don't For know. this? Yes, yes. Wow, wait, no, you should talk about that. Okay. okay. Yeah, <laughs> what, what are these events? Uh, well, I've only done two so far, but um, I printed a physical zine in December um, and I wanted a launch party for it. So I did... Um, a, yeah, three of the people who wrote for the zine and then myself, we read our stories out at a bar in Berlin called Das Gift and all my mates were there and it was really fun and supportive. So far we've done two and the first one was for the launch party and the second one was just for No Filter's first birthday which was in February this year. People, people seem to like love it intensely. Some people have no interest in it and you can see them zoning out when I mention it. They just sort of like don't really listen. And some people just find No Filter and just think it's like the best thing on earth. And those are the people I'm like, yes, you get it. I really try and push, my, some of my friends are amazing writers and some of them are very shy to public speak. So I really try and push them to do it. And last time in February, I got a few more people just being like, I really want to read next time because it's a really like supportive environment. Um, but I think there's two problems with, well, there's two difficulties for people. It's reading in public and also reading stories about you know, shitting yourself in public, um, which my brother did. I was very proud of him. I think once you make people feel comfortable, once you do it yourself, that totally opens people up. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So obviously it's online, but how do people learn about the zine? How do people access it? I think probably the only social media outlet I have is on Facebook. So you can follow No Filter Z or like No Filter Zine on Facebook and you'll see everything. And then, yeah, it's kind of just going on nofilterzine.com. So I started listening to a playlist on Spotify, which is followed by about 33,000 people called UK Garage Heads. And I was just like, oh, I love Garage. Bump and Grind original mix by M Dubs. Okay. We've got to play a Green Day, well, you can choose which one, but oh, Shenanigans was the original album that I fell in love with in Singapore. And I think this track from there, Desensitized. Desensitized. Yeah. Okay. By Green Day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>